Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I want to invite you to that. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. You can borrow it or keep it with you. If you have need of a Bible, that's fine. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up that app and find our live event and track along right now. Anybody? Astros hungover? Anybody? Yep, yep, yep. There we go. Take it back. I got a little logo for you there. Uh, so, so good last night, huh? Uh, and and um, I'm sure this will dovetail at some point into the sermon. I just, but I just wanted to notice that there are multiple orange shirts out here. And I don't think it's Halloween people uh, that we're doing here. I just noticed multiple. I see all, all of you. That's good. Uh, okay, so Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Let me tell you uh, just kind of how this sermon came to be. Last Sunday and then again on Monday, between those two days, I had four conversations with people that as I engaged them and we were talking about it, uh, people within our church family and connected to our church family, they said this, well, I'm really worried about or I'm really anxious about this. And I thought, man, that doesn't normally happen where something so thematic uh, pulls together like that in such a close proximity of time. And so uh, I thought, well, heck, the Bible talks about this and this is what we're going to do. So uh, we're going to just take um, today, I really was thinking about going a different direction altogether, but we're going to take today and just listen to what Jesus says in in this word about worry, okay? This word about worry. So here's where we want to go. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Um, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or don't worry about your life. So just pause right there for one second. The word that is in my Bible that's translated anxious, it's a good, I mean, it's a fine translation. It, it probably sits somewhere between anxious. If anxious is up here and worry is kind of right here, you know, you got kind of two levels. This word probably sits in the middle of that. It would be something along the lines of I have care for or concern for something like that. I've chosen the word worry. Um, I actually originally titled it a word about anxiety, but anxiety has a certain, um, like a, a certain thing to it today. Like there's some weightiness to that. There's some medical implications that come along with that. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But right, so we're, we're going, I'm going with the word worry here. So if you read anxiety uh, or anxious and I say worry, that's why it's, it's that word sits somewhere between there. So here we go. Verse 25 again. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious or worried about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious or worried, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, 
Here's where I want to go today, uh, thinking about worry, this word about worry from Jesus. Here's, here's what I want to say. Um, this, this command, it is a command, therefore don't be anxious, don't worry. Um, this command is, is, yes, a command, but it's also an invitation. So most of the time, God, when he commands us, it's not just go do this, and you're like, uh, okay, this is what I got to go do. Most of the time, though, when God says this to you and to me, most of the time being like basically all of the time, what he's also doing is commanding, he is commanding us, but he's also inviting us to live in the life that he wants us to live. Some of us can't get our minds around that because um, uh, we think that God is simply after our obedience. He is after our obedience, but he gives us those commands for our joy. God is in pursuit of our joy, and so he gives us commands for that. So uh, the command is also an invitation. Here's the devil's game, all right? This is, this is the ploy right here. You hear a command like, don't worry. And then you try to go live that out, and you figure out you can't really do it, and so what do you do? You start worrying about not being able to not worry. You see where this goes? And then that quickly whips you around the cycle, more like a spiral, uh, where it kind of takes you down, where you're thinking, oh, I can't not worry, so I'm, now I'm worried about not worrying, and Jesus said not worry, now I'm worried about the worrying that I'm not worrying about, and you just like, I, I, I can't, that's the devil's game right there. He would love to have you wrapped around the axle on that stuff right there. Um, so, I mean, just, I'm saying that to say this, you, you need to hear that not as command, in the sense of like, I must go do this, but as an invitation. Something along the lines, maybe you did this this week, uh, even to your own um, kids. Something on occasion I say to my kids, go get your shoes on. Now, is that a command? Absolutely. But it's also an invitation. What's it an invitation to? We're leaving. Come with me. Let's go get ice. Whatever's happening, right? Like, let's move on from here. And in the same way, Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying, don't worry And it's a command, but it's also an invitation to move on from there. It's an invitation. So, um, Jesus locates, and I want to do this for just a second. He locates the root of worry in a particular place. It's down, you see it in verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, uh, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the fire, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of what? Of little what? Faith. So he locates the root of worry in faith. Okay, this is an issue of belief. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. Please hear what I am saying. Jesus wants us to believe some things, and that will take care of some other things. Now, hear me say this. If you wrestle with, struggle with, I want to be very tender and pastoral up here. If you wrestle or struggle with anxiety, this this worries bigger brother, hairier version, okay? Like, that if you if that's you and your your mind is working in a certain way and your emotions are um, uh, kind of uh, running right underneath the level there where they could they could boil over at any moment where your relationships are fractured or suffering because of that hear hear me say this hear me say this if you believe these things it won't fix all that like There are things, there might be steps that you, if you suffer with anxiety, this is why we chose not to use this word, if you suffer with anxiety, like there might be steps that you need to take. You may need to go consult a doctor. You may need to go see a counselor. You may need to step in to some other process where there's expertise specifically for you. You won't roll up on Jesus and look at him and go, hey, I really tried that thing. And he'd go, oh, I can't believe that you took an Advil for your headache. I cannot believe that you did that. If you would have just believed, it would have been just fine. So, 
hear me say this. If you struggle with anxiety, get the help that you need. And in the same breath, I say to you, Jesus is approaching this from the bottom. And he's saying, I want you to believe some things. Because that will kind of set, if you will, a better environment for you to grow and to flourish and to experience abundant life. Okay? What then do we need to believe? First of all, starting, uh, look, look in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Core belief number one that Jesus wants to set for for you and I to engage with and, and really settle down into is that you and I are valuable to God. We are created by God and valuable to God. Some of us think, hey, I can, I can get on board with created by God, but I'm not so sure about valuable to God. I want you to hear me say, man, this is critical for you to grasp and understand that you and I are indeed valuable to God. I'm backing up here to verse 25. Um, uh, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. If you want to, um, uh, if you're a writer in your Bible, maybe you could just write out to the, to the side there, soul. Uh, life is a good translation, but it's the Greek word for soul. And what he wants you and I to grasp is there is something created in us and, and created about us that, that is, that is I mean, unbelievably valued to God that the world wants to pervert or world wants to tell you otherwise. Man, listen to me. You are, and he goes on to say this, um, is not your life more than this? Uh, you, you're, you, isn't your life more than food, your body more than clothing? Listen, uh, the, the worry that expresses itself that this, this belief addresses goes something like this. Does God really care about me? And when Jesus comes along and he says, hey, what, is, what really is your life? What is the place from which you draw your worth and security? Listen, he says this is so important to believe that you and I are valuable to God. That is the place where we want to root ourselves. We are not what we own or what owns us. We are not who we know or who knows us. We are not um, the, the roles that we play. We are not the jobs that we have or used to have. Um, we are not even the thoughts that we have or that come flashing through our brains. We are not the emotions that well up inside of us when um, life circumstances happen. We are not the self-talk that spins up in our minds. And we are not the statements that have been made over our lives by somebody else. We are not the insecurities that we are trying to manage and not let other people see. And we are not the influences that try to sway us uh, and that we're trying to push back against. We're not those things. We are created by God and valuable to him. That's who we are. Aren't you more valuable than they? So uh, some of you say, I'm not so sure. Just, I just want to point these things out. Here we go. Number one, just, just look at what he said. Okay, back in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So he argues from the lesser to the greater. Okay, like look at these little birds. Everybody walk outside. Just look at the birds. Can you picture the birds in your mind? Can you picture? Look at the birds. God takes care of them. 
And you're more valuable than they. You're like, I'm not so sure about it. If I'm more valuable, maybe the other guy. Now listen, the, the birds, okay, the birds. The, the word that he uses there and the point he's trying to make, you pick it up in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 or so. He says this, aren't two sparrows sold for a single penny? So you can get two birds for a penny. I mean, that's cheap. That's cheap. And uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 6, apparently you can catch them on sale because Jesus says, again, can't you buy five birds for two pennies? I mean, that's a good deal right there, right? I, that's a, like the target section. <laughs> What's the idea? They're small. They, they, are, they are the smallest sacrifice that could be brought to God. Paid for the smallest amount. And yet what is, God takes care of them. He receives them. And look at you. You're more complicated, more more substantial. Your life means more than those birds. If he values them, don't you think he values you even more? Aren't you much more valuable than they? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. If God cares about these little birds, he will most certainly care about you. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. But secondly, you're valuable to God not only because of the way or what he said, but like look at actually who says it. Now, this is dead in the middle. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, are a block of teaching by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And so this is all red-letter material. If your Bible has red letters in it, you just red letters all over the place here, meaning Jesus himself is saying it. So here's the thing. It's not just look at what he said. Look at who said it. And who's speaking here? Jesus is. Jesus, the the Son of God, the one who left heaven and came to earth, not only to teach us some really important things, but also ultimately to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. We, We who were separated from God by our sin and selfishness and brokenness, Jesus came, he took that on himself. He took all of our sin, all of our shame, all the stuff that goes with that, and he bore it. He died in our place and for our sins and then rose victoriously so that not only you could have forgiveness, and be made right with God, but also you could live with him forever. This is the one who is saying this. Burning hot in the heart of God Almighty is a relationship with his people, those uh, those whom he created. And I want you to hear me say today, the value that he places on you is reflected in the mission of Jesus to rescue you. If you want to know about the promises that he made and the confirmation of those promises. If you want to know about his love for you and the value that he places on you, you look at the cross of Jesus. That's where you look. Look at who said it. Okay, and then you you look down the row and you're like, yeah, listen, I'm sure that that applies to all the rest of the people on the row, but not this guy. Not this guy. Why? Because of this or that or the other, this thing that I struggle with or this addiction that I have or this problem. Like I'm way out of whack. I'm out of sync. I'm like I'm so removed or distant from God, whatever. And so I just, I want to say this. You not only look at what was said and who said it, but also to whom it was said. Look at to whom it was said. And in order to pick this up, you got to back up to Matthew chapter 4 because you got to know who the Sermon on the Mount was given to. All right, you ready? Verse 23, and he, that's Jesus, 423, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that there is a that Jesus is going to reign over everything and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread. He went viral, Jesus did, um, throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, uh, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. That's amazing. Verse 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem, Judea, from beyond the Jordan. And then look at 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for there is the kingdom of the heavens and so on. To whom did Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount? This group of crowds. Right? These are like stellar, all-star followers of Jesus, right? I mean, they are like top-notch World Series, Alex Bregman with the bases loaded kind of Christians, right? Am I right? Right? No! Five minutes ago, they had a demon. That's what it says. That's what it says. I mean, like, Ten minutes ago, there were some dudes who drugged their friend up on a mat, and Jesus says, oh man, you're in bad shape. Please get up. Let's, let's, let's get you healed and walking, and let's move you forward in this life. And the guy's like, well, okay. And he stands up and walks. Like, this is the group to whom Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Just don't get past that, okay? Like, don't move past this context that the densest, richest teaching of life in the kingdom Jesus gives to these people described in chapter 4, 23 to 25. Demon-possessed, paralytics, epileptics, sick, broken, tired, worn-out people. Anybody qualify? It's to those people that he looks and goes, hey, listen, I know five minutes ago you, you had rolled over and foam was coming out of your mouth. But you're, you're so valuable to God. Hey, listen, five minutes ago, the devil had you in such bondage that your addiction cycle, there was no end in sight. I want you to hear me say, you are valuable to God. Five minutes ago, nobody was sure that you would actually see tomorrow. But I want you to know, you are valuable to God. When you rolled up in the parking lot, you yelled at your kids. I want you to know, you're valuable to God. That situation at work that you cannot see the way through. I want you to know, no matter the outcome, you're valuable to God. The investment that you think you're making in in this particular person, in this particular relationship, man, it just seems like it's going nowhere right now. No matter what. Here, you're valuable to God. Suburban life would tell you that what you own and who you know is the measure of your worth. And Jesus comes along to us and says, 
outside of all of that junk, you're valuable to God. Bases loaded, grand slam or strike out, you're valuable to God. That's what he says to every one of us. With all of our brokenness, all of our junk, all of our struggles, all of our addiction, everything else, we're valuable to God. We can believe that, church family. We can believe that. And when we do, that is nutrients for the soil that will help us grow differently than grow into worry. So a second thing that we need to believe is that God is a good father. He is a very good father. So start in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? He's already said, look at the birds of the air. The father feeds them. You just need to know that. Which of you, uh, verse 27, being anxious or worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon, now King Solomon, the grandest king, David's the probably the most famous, but Solomon, wisest and richest and smartest and all that kind of stuff, he's the one with all the stuff, like gold this. and that. The Bible says about him, silver wasn't even a thing in Jerusalem at, at the time of King Solomon because it was just, it was like pennies. I mean, it was just so common. Gold was everywhere. Silver was nothing back then. This is Solomon in all of his glory, he says. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these in Texas, we'd say, look at the blue bonnets. Solomon doesn't hold a candle to those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, today alive, tomorrow stone in the oven, how uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God is a good father. And uh, the, the worry goes something like this. Will there ever be enough? And here's what I would say to you. Number one, let's remember that God, this good father, is generous. He is generous towards you and towards me. We don't worry. Why? Because God provides. He takes care of the, ra- uh, of the birds of the air. He takes care of the lilies of the field. He, he, he does this. He provides for us. And when we worry, not only... Um, uh, do, do, well, not only do we kind of let ourselves off the hook here, but we also, uh, when we worry, we, we, we don't want to dishonor his goodness and his generosity towards you and me. God has created the world, and he is a very generous host, right? He is a very generous host in this world of ours. We don't worry, number one, because God provides, uh, and it devalues his goodness. And, and thirdly, it does no good. It does no good. That's what he says in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And what's the answer? Who can do that? Anybody? No, in fact, studies, physiological studies say that when you worry, you actually take away hours from your life. Are you with me? Uh, Anybody worry and their blood pressure goes up? Oh, great. Just me. Okay, it's cool. All All right. He is an incredibly gracious and generous host. Now, uh, this week, a friend of mine dropped by. Uh, We... um, talking in the office one morning. He goes, man, I had the craziest dream about you. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, sure, why not? Go ahead and tell me about it. Uh, and he says, hey, uh, you know, we had gone out to dinner. Our families had gone out to dinner and you came back to, we had laughed and had such a great time. We went back to our house and, and uh, when we got in uh, and we were sitting there still laughing, having a great time and, and you just got up and you just started like fixing stuff and you know, like putting stuff together and that kind of thing. Like, like, I mean, can you imagine, you know, like in that, like you knew where everything was and that was, you just, you just were at home. In my house. You're right. That's weird. Okay. I, I wouldn't do that in your house. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So, uh, and, but he said, you know, you just said home. And that, that stuck with me. Because some of us picture God as someone who's just kind of stingily handing out some things. Not a gracious and generous host. That in his world, we can be at home. 
And we can go to the cabinet and the cupboard and we know where the blender is and what's in the fridge and this kind of stuff, right? This is the life that God wants us to live. He is a gracious and generous host. Can you imagine uh, uh, go, going, over to, you know, going over to somebody's house and they've invited you to the party and all of a sudden you start fretting about the queso? And you think, well, somebody may have to say to you, hey, listen, don't fret about the queso. It's good. It's fine. Everything is just fine. Just go and enjoy yourself. And in some ways, that's kind of what Jesus is inviting us to. Hey, listen, God is a gracious and generous host in this world in which he has set up. Enjoy yourself. Like, don't fret. Don't worry. He's got it. He's got it, okay? He's generous. Secondly, he's also involved. Um, I'm moving down to verse 32 now. Uh, verse 31, we'll start there. Uh, Therefore, don't be anxious or don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles are those who don't know God. They don't hold on to the promises of God. Um, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that you need them all. God knows. Or your heavenly Father knows. He is a involved kind of God. Um, the Gentiles, back in chapter 6, uh, earlier, Jesus said this. He said, uh, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do because they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Some of you grew up with a dad who was distant or disconnected in some way, and so you can't imagine going to your dad and asking for something. Um, some of you grew up very different than that. Maybe you've got in your mind this picture or this moment in your life, from your life, where you went up to your dad and you're like, hey, dad, like I really need it. And about that time, out of his back pocket came exactly what you needed. Some of you grew up in a home just like that. And Jesus is saying, your heavenly father is that and more. He knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And he knows that you need them all. So he invites us. He invites us to know that God is generous toward us and that he's involved. That there is a God in the world who is not disconnected from your needs, who is not disconnected uh, or or distant from uh, the things that are rolling around inside of you and the concerns that you have. He's saying, hey, I'm involved. I care very much about these things. Let's talk about them. Paul picks up on this, uses the exact same word in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious. Don't Don't worry about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Just set them out there. Hey, Father, this is what I need. I told somebody this story this week. The 830 didn't get this. This is bonus material for you, okay? Uh, several weeks ago, um, uh, I, I was looking for something in particular to help um, a family member. It was just something very unique, very particular. And so I called a friend of mine. Um, I mean, friend, I, acquaintance. And... Um, I was talking to him. I said, hey, man, do you know this, that, or the other? Do you know anybody who might have something like this or whatever? He's probably pushing 80 years old, this guy. Um, And he goes, you know, off the top of my hand, I don't think I I know anybody, but I know somebody who does. I'm going to ask him. Father, what I ask is that, and he just went right into prayer. I'm on the phone, I think actually on the Gulf Freeway. I was like... Yes, Lord. Let's just keep going. I, I, he just, like he had invited a third party into our conversation. Because that's precisely what he did. 
No, I don't really know anybody, but I know somebody who does. Father, this is what I'm asking. I'm, and I was like, this, i got to take my shoes off. This is a holy moment right here, and you're setting a great example for me. He's involved, and he wants us to ask. And so we've got this good father who's out there. And so what, what would this look like? If you and I believed that we're valuable to God, and we, if we believed that God was a good father, and we don't need to worry about this, what would it look like for us to, um, to, to um, enact this faith? We can't just mentally assent to these and say, yes, we believe this, check the box. Yes, we believe this, check the box. Like, faith is our action uh, based upon what we know to be true. And so uh, we, we kind of lean out into this. What would it look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's like Jesus knew that you would ask that question. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So what would it look like for us to believe that God is, that he values you and me and that he's a good father? What it would look like seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we would um, live our lives, we would prioritize our lives, we would let our lives be shaped by, um, I'm going to live under the reign of God, uh, under the, the, the rule of God, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to get on the project that he's on, that is the transformation of my life so that it looks like Jesus. That, that's what he wants us to do. And we don't have that um, as a secondary portion of our life. It's not like the secret spice that adds, makes the sauce taste really good in our life. It says what? Seek first the kingdom. It is the priority for you and for me. Seek first the kingdom. If we believed that God values us, if we believed that God is a good father, that's what it would look like. It would look like Seeking first the kingdom of God. It would, not, it would not include us sitting around waiting on God to kind of work the magic. Work the magic, God. This is not a hall pass for us to be passive in our spiritual lives. This is not that. But it's also not um, the thing where, as I explained earlier, where we just lock in on worrying. Uh, okay, God, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. That's not, that's not where we are. and That's not what we do. It's an invitation to step out and to do something positive, to enact something based upon what we know to be true. You dislodge or you displace um, that, that kind of tendency towards worry uh, by pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We've talked about this multiple times before in here. I just want to re-up this to keep it in people people's mind and fresh. So I just say it this way. If I said to you, don't think about an elephant. Some of you are like, what is he doing? Don't think about an elephant. The tendency would be, okay, I'm not going to think about an elephant. I am not going to think about an elephant. I'm not going to think about an elephant. What are you doing? You're thinking about an elephant. What's the better way to do it? To think about a giraffe, right? If I think about a giraffe, I am not thinking about an elephant. Or uh, maybe a, a, a clearer picture for you, a little more. Uh, we, we have these water bottles in our house that we hand wash. Um, and so we put them in there and, you know, you put some soap in there and make sure it all gets clean and that kind of thing. And inevitably, uh, when you go to pour it out, there's like some soap bubbles left. Well, you don't want to leave those in there because whatever you put in there, you don't want it tasting like raspberry soap or whatever the thing is of the day, right? And you just like, oh, just turn it over, shake it out, turn it over, shake it out, look at it as there's still soap bubbles growing, shake it out. Like you never actually get all the soap out unless you do what, somebody? You like run the water until it like... You put something else in there so that it pushes out all the other stuff. 
Easiest way not to think about an elephant is to think about a giraffe. Easiest way to dislodge the soap bubbles in the water bottle is to fill it with something else. Easiest way to push out worry in our hearts is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he takes care of the rest. That's what it would look like. Last thing, quickly. Believe that you're valuable to God. Believe that God is a good father. Last thing, verse 34. Whoops, I turned the page, didn't mean to. Verse 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, we have to believe that tomorrow is tomorrow. Now, instead of worrying about what would happen to me, we just take a moment and believe that tomorrow is tomorrow. And that, what I mean by that is that it, tomorrow is full of all sorts of possibilities and challenges. Some of you know what's coming on your tomorrow. Some of you have no idea. Some of it will work out just like you planned it. Some of it, not so much. But here's how Jesus taught us to pray. For our Father, the one in the heavens, hallowed or treasured be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right here among us as it is in heaven. Give us today tomorrow's bread, right? No, 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 that's not what he said. Give us today our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread. We didn't like stick in the fridge or, you know, put in a Ziploc bag or anything. No, 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 no. Give us today our daily bread. A daily prayer for daily needs. Guess what? God can take care of today, today, and tomorrow. You know what he can do? He can take care of tomorrow. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and figure out that God carries the rest of the freight for that, we don't have to stress about that or worry about that. We don't have to like get sunk down with that kind of stuff. Our, our, we just load ourselves up with stories about how God has been faithful to us. And here's the thing. When we know that God has been faithful, us, faithful to us today, we can trust God to be faithful to us tomorrow. When you wake up tomorrow, guess what? You will have new mercy that's labeled tomorrow. When you, when you wake up, there will be tomorrow's grace available to you tomorrow. You can't like borrow forward. That's not how this works. You just, you'd experience um, life in relationship with God today, in this moment, right here. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says. Tomorrow has enough to worry about. Each, each day has its own trouble. That's true. You can find the grace that you need for tomorrow, tomorrow. You can find the power you need for tomorrow, tomorrow. The strength that you need for tomorrow, tomorrow. You can find the mercy that you need for tomorrow, tomorrow. You probably haven't expended all of the mercy that you need for today yet. Don't worry about tomorrow. It is tomorrow. You can just... Now, the question comes back, and I'll just do this much on this. Well, does that mean I don't need to plan? No, heavens, no. God's for planning. I don't need to save for retirement. Listen, God's for you saving for retirement. Goodness knows your kids don't want you living with them, all right? God's all for all of that kind of stuff. But it's not something that we worry about. It's not something that we upset. It's something that we release to God and say, God, you've got this. You've got it. Well, we'll be smart. We'll be wise. We'll do everything we can, but we'll trust you with it. Because of God's faithfulness today, I can believe, I can trust that he will be faithful tomorrow.